Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. Welcome back to the MLB.com Statcast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. As we've said a few times, this is not a show about stats right now. And in fact, tonight we are going to invent a trivia game. What I have done is I have gone through the archives of old broadcasts, radio, and television over the last 80 or so years. And I have come up with 10 clips, approximately 45 seconds long a piece and i'm going to make matt guess what they are uh but matt's not going to do this by himself we are joined by our friend and colleague sarah langs researcher writer extraordinaire of mb.com sarah hello thank you for spending a few minutes with us uh indulging in remember some broadcasts i guess how are you i'm doing well and thank you so much for having me i'm very excited to see uh how this goes and where it goes yeah, this is uh, an experiment. I, I really hope this works. I found it difficult to find clips that wouldn't like give away the entire game from the broadcasters because they'll say, like, oh, welcome back to opening day with the Yankees and the Red Sox. I didn't want that. But I also didn't want to make it so impossible that you guys had no prayer whatsoever. And what I also realized is if you look for really big moments, like I tried to get the last pitch of a World Series, but what happens is um, they'll tell you what happened and then they will shut up. So that's like 48 seconds worth of crowd noise. And I didn't think you guys would be able to get that either. So I have 10 clips here and um, they are roughly ordered in, uh, let's say from easiest to hardest for the first nine. The 10th one I have saved because it's just my favorite. We will try to keep score a little bit here. Before we get in any of those, I have one extra clip I want to play for you guys. This is not one of our 10. I'll give away the game right here. It, uh, it will be Mickey Mantle's 500th home run. You don't actually hear the home run in this clip, but I found that as I was researching, and I really thought it was fascinating. This is from May 14th, 1967. Uh, listen to how the announcer describes the defense against Mickey Mantle. The 2-1 pitch by Miller. Three and one, three balls, one strike. Johnson and Powell all to the right of second base. Hard to get a ground ball between them. All by himself at third base, Brooks Robinson. A shift. Yeah. <laughs> 1967. I know that wasn't the first one. I know Ted Williams had seen a shift in the 40s, and you know, Lord knows what Babe Ruth saw. Um, but that I came across that, and that just tickled me so much because I feel like so many people think the shift was invented in 2014, and uh, that just pleased me to no end. It should be noted. He did not go and drop down a bunt to the left side. He pounded a home run to right field for his 500th of his career. 
And that that made me happy. It was Brooks Robinson, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Literally Brooks Robinson. Um, but yes, I like also how the announcer was so matter of fact about it. It was like, oh yeah, the, there's three three defenders on the um, to the right of second base. So anyway, Mike, the the rules for this. What are you asking us to guess? We're we just trying to guess that we're trying to guess the specific game or just like the year. What do you want us to guess? I would like you to guess both teams, and in some cases that'll be pretty easy, and the year, and whichever one of you. Uh, you each get one point per, per team that you've guessed, and then whoever gets closest to the year will also receive a point. Cool. Everybody good? Yeah. Let's do it. And uh, we're going to have Sarah go guess first after this first clip. Matt will be on the honor system, not the steal or answer. Although, this first one, I think, is probably going to be the easiest. You will definitely know the teams, and you'll probably guess the year. But the reason I chose this one is almost entirely because it was a, a very notable moment in baseball history, but because I just love the lineup that is read by the announcer here. Here's the first one. They furnish you a surprise or two. Ken Griffey is at first base. Don Mattingly is at second base. Bert Cabaneras was there. Royce Molly is at shortstop. He was there in the original game. And at third base, Greg Nettles. Dave Winfield is in left field. Now watch this next shot. Ron Guidry is in center field. That's Guidry playing center. And the right fielder is Steve Kemp. The catcher has to be Butch Weiniger because Rick Cerrone has an eye infection. Cerrone was in the July 24th game, but unable to play tonight. And on the mound for the Yankees, right-hander George Frazier, and he'll be pitching to Hal McRae, who was on deck when Brett hit the two-run homer. Well, that's quite a lineup, Frank. <laughs> uh, I guess for one out, I who knows? This might be something new. This might be the turnaround. Now, for some of these, I have gone and edited out where they say the team name, not to give it away. I thought with that lineup, it was pretty easy, so I didn't bother here. Sarah, please tell me you know at least one of the two teams in this game. Yes, it was the Yankees and the Royals, the Pine Tar game, 1983? Yes? Sort of. Mostly okay. yes. Okay. Matt? It is the continuation of the Pine Tar ah. game. And, ah, yes. Uh, and uh, I guess Billy Martin putting out his ridiculous lineup in, in uh, some sort of protest. Um and yes, it was. Uh, I I agree with Sarah. 1983 is the year. Yeah, you're you're both right. The uh, I'm giving you both a full three points for this. This was the continuation of the Pine Tar game. The original game was July 24th. The makeup game, or not the makeup game, the, uh, the resumed portion of the game was on August 18th. And as that clip showed, the lineups for the Yankees were just absolutely ridiculous. Billy Martin, he not only protested before the game. He then immediately came out before the first pitch was thrown and had his pitcher uh, throw a, uh, throw the ball to first base to appeal, and appeal that Brett had never actually touched first base. And the hilarious part here, the umpires were different. So the umpires for the second part of the game were not the same umpires for the first part of the game, so they couldn't possibly have said we saw him. And if you watch the video, one of the umpires has a signed affidavit from uh, the president of the American League, I remember, anticipating this and having the original umpires swear out that they did, in fact, see George Brett touch first base. This is, everybody remembers, like, George Brett storming out and losing his mind. I have to say, I did not remember that Ron Guidry played center field for the remainder of the second game. Unfortunately, it was a strikeout, and uh, there were no balls in play. Do you remember, like, Matt, do you remember the second part? Because I, I can't say I do. No, I, def I, I do not. Um, I also did, yeah, Don Niley playing second, the left-handed second baseman. You also don't see that, uh, don't see that every day either. <laughs> Yeah, the, the original center fielder for the game, Jerry Mumphrey, had actually been traded to the Astros. 
So in addition to protesting, they actually just literally needed a second center fielder. So we have a tie. As I said, these are going to go from somewhat easy to a little bit harder. That one, I think, was pretty easy. This one's going to be a little tougher, uh, but it is definitely fun to listen to. I would advise you both to listen to the crowd atmosphere. The bowler, Charlie Huff. 45-year-old Charlie Huff beginning his 21st season in the major leagues. And Market Jackson. First pitch was a strike. First pitch at 212. And was it? A knuckleball. The first pitch surprise was a knuckleball. 0-2, Huff ahead. Well, it's on every pitch here. This is going to be great. Well, Charlie Huff was asked the other day what his first pitch was going to be, and he said it'll be strike one. <laughs> That's right. This is great. They're already looking for the first strikeout as if it's a Nolan Ryan mowdown coming up here. Oh, and he's punched out. Frank Pulley called the pitch on the outside corner. And the have won the World Series. There's one out. Three consecutive knuckleballs from Charlie Huff, and watch this ball break down and away from Jose Offerman. Now, if you watch that clip, the ball that broke down and away from Jose Offerman is about six miles off the plate. <laughs> so that was a very, a very uh, favorable call uh, for the knuckleballer. Matt, you get to go first this time. What do you think this is? Oh, I, I, I knew this. I knew this one. I know the end of the picture talking about. This is the uh, Marlins Dodgers, nineteen ninety three. And what's the significance? Opening first Marlins game ever. Yeah. Uh, well, Sarah, what do you think? You can just say the same thing. <laughs> I do think the same. I was looking at that at that one the other uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, that is correct, and I have a memory of this game. I I was like what eleven, I guess, at this point, twelve, and I I think I skipped school or stayed home from school for some reason because at the time this was the first major league expansion in my lifetime. Uh, before that was nineteen seventy seven, which I was not alive for. And I remember just thinking, wow, a new team. And they're wearing crazy teal uniforms. And I was a Dodger fan. This is perfect. I'm definitely going to watch this. And watching it now, 45-year-old Charlie Huff in those bright teal uniforms is such a weird look. He looks like he should have been playing in 1943, you know, in like drab, gray, sepia tones. And he's wearing just the brightest teal. And, you know, he's not exactly in like Yasiel Puig level shape at that point. And I was just so entertained by the entire thing. And by the way, the Dodgers lineup that day, Daryl Strawberry and Eric Davis hitting 3-4, Mike Piazza hitting 7th. Do you remember that one at all? I don't remember the lineup. I'm looking at the lineup now, and I'm amazed. To see, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense Piazza's in the lineup, because 93, that was his rookie of the year season. But, um, man, Strawberry Davis back-to-back. -back. The, the Marlins roughed up uh, Hershiser in that game. 10 hits uh, in 5 innings. Yeah, Charlie Huff actually uh, got the win. 6 innings. Three earned runs. I kind of thought, Matt, you would get that one pretty easily. Um, Sarah, this one was pretty obvious for you as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but only because recently I was on this box score. I was uh, not born yet for this one. So uh, I definitely don't remember uh, watching it or anything. <laughs> You're younger than the Marlins? Oh, my God. <laughs> just, just barely. Just barely. But uh, I am. But, yeah, I was looking through this uh, the other day for uh, one of our box score things. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm giving you guys both full points here. It's going to get a little bit harder now. This one is um, a pretty fun memory. I can't actually remember uh, what happens in this clip, although I do remember the game, and I, I think you guys will know the game. 0-2. And now Blackjack. 
until right at the end there, but I heard Griffey's name, so that'll give me something. I think that this must be um, that playoff series. Uh, honestly, I don't have my year off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Well, give me some teams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mariners and the Yankees. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Matt? Uh, that is the uh, – I'm pretty sure that's the Edgar Martinez game, 95. Game five, Mariners-Yankees, where uh, Martinez drives in Griffey with the double to, to win the series. Game five of the 1995 American League Division Series. Uh, extra points for Matt on this one. One of the most memorable games in recent playoff history, probably the most memorable game in Seattle playoff history, the game that is usually referred to as the game that uh, kept the Mariners in Seattle. As I'm looking at the lineups here, I had not remembered that Alex Rodriguez entered as a pinch runner because... Luis Soho had started at third base now to uh, shortstop. To be fair, Alex Rodriguez that year was 19 and had hit 232, 264, 408 in 48 games. So it's not exactly like he was destroying the world yet, but still, he was a pinch runner for Tino Martinez, who I always uh, think of as a Yankee, but, but you know, obviously started out with the Mariners. And the hitter in that clip, Vince Coleman, who I had no recollection of being with the Mariners at all. As I look at his stats, he played for... 40 games for the Mariners that year. No wonder I don't remember him. Yeah, I, my, my recollection of him is um, just from being in the celebration of that shot, of him being like the first person to like mob, mob Griffey. The best thing about this box score is David Cohn's line. Seven and, two, seven and two-thirds innings, nine hits allowed, four runs, three walks, nine strikeouts, 147 pitches. <laughs> <laughs> It was a different, a different time, my friends. Um, Jack McDowell, you could hear in the clip too, Blackjack, he came in and, and ended up getting the loss. And I remember when I was a kid thinking that Blackjack McDowell for the White Sox in like 1993, this is when I still cared about pitcher wins and everything, was just like not only the best pitcher, but sort of the meanest. Like I think I fully bought into like the cool goatee and his name was Blackjack. And the White Sox had changed to these black uniforms and Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura were, were killing everything. Uh, now that I look at the stats, I know it was a different game, but in 1983, he t- threw 256 and two-thirds innings and struck out 158 hitters and finished, and he won the Cy Young that year. I mean, he, I mean, he, had, he had finished first one year, and the year before that, he was second. I mean, he threw 250 innings in three straight seasons, so he was definitely kind of like the classic workhorse, and with the goatee and those uniforms, you're right, he definitely had this kind of like, uh, he sort of had like a, almost like what the... Um, um, I'm not just saying this because their first name is Jack, but like the Jack Morris kind of vibe of like, oh, this guy's just a just a winner. You know, the, you, you want him on your team. He's going to win games for you. That kind of that kind of thing. Same uh, same high school as Giancarlo Stanton too. Notre Dame High School in California. 
Fun I did not know that. Reference. I did not know that. There you go. I saw the high school. I know that's the same one. Sherman Oaks. That is that is really cool. All right. I think this one is going to be a little bit harder. I, this one is really notable for this play, and I have actually cropped out the name of the player just because I think that would give it away. So hopefully I didn't make this one uh, too difficult, but let's find out. It's a fun moment. I'm glad of it. Line drive, right field. We may have a play at the plate. Big hop. Here comes Downing. Here's the throw. It is. He knocked him off the plate. What a tag by Carter. A tremendous play by Carter. Oh, baby, what a play. And what a throw by Who continues to show why some people consider him the greatest player in the game. One big hop. Watch it. Great play by Carter, as you said, Joe. A strong throw. Downing tries to slide inside, away from the ball. Carter blocks him off. He knocked him right off the plate. Never did let him in. How Carter was able to catch that ball. Now, he he cuts loose with the ball, but now watch Carter knock the runner off the plate. Right there, he pushes him off. Almost gets in there. Look at his hand. Tremendous work by our crew. And Carter comes up with the ball, and he had a good ball to handle, Tony. Matt, I feel like you've got a shot at this one. Um, this is this is one where I think I could be way off, but I, I'm, I'm just going to go with my gut because I don't have a better guess. I'm going to guess, like, the 1979 All-Star game. I, I guess that would make the teams American and national. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sarah? Yeah, I have the same guess, actually. I think I was just looking at this play a couple days ago. Dave Parker. Yeah. Yeah, you guys you guys both nailed this one. Um, I really enjoyed getting a chance to watch that clip again because I, I'd seen it so many times, but I didn't realize the extra angle they had from it, from like the right field foul pole, where you can actually see the entire thing just on a line, 300 feet, uh, strike to the plate. I was looking at the box score for this game, the 79 All-Star game, and what struck me was that when you look at the pitchers, each pitcher threw one or two innings, right? Steve Carlton started for the NL and he threw one inning. Nolan Ryan started for the AL and he threw two innings. And obviously that's the way All-Star games work now and have worked for years. But I guess I had it in my head that hadn't started until later. You know, I was, you always think of like the 60s All-Star games where the starters would just go. And if you'd asked me when did that stop, I would have said 1991 or something. And I was late by like an entire decade here. But I'm I'm impressed you guys both nailed this one. This maybe I didn't make this as hard as I should have. <laughs> no, it was. I mean, it's a, it's a, the, the edit was a good edit. You know, it just it was. You know, I, I associate Brian Downing with the Angels, so an AL player, and Carter, always an NL player. So it was just like, okay, I don't think they ever overlapped in the um, in the playoffs, just because the Expos never made it to the World Series, and um, in '86, actually, Downing was on the Angels, but they lost to the Red Sox in the ALCS. So. I was not sure about the year to be honest with you. I got lucky on the I got lucky on my nineteen seventy nine guess. I do like I just pulled up the box score that Jim Kern came in and pitched two point two and two thirds innings of relief. Um, admittedly, someone I had never heard of before, but he finished fourth in the AL Cy Young voting that year for the um, for the uh, Rangers as a as a reliever. And basically, his career was done after that. Maybe it was those extra that extra workload. I take it back. I mean, he pitched another like ten years, but never nearly as as good as he was in uh, seventy nine. Yeah, I was looking at some uh, top outfield throws the other day, and this one came up, and I, I can't say that I would have been able to get the year like a week ago. So I, I think that actually all of the stuff that we've been doing lately is uh, helping me at least with my, uh, you know, backtracking the historical knowledge here. All right, we have uh, finished what I would call maybe the easy part. Uh, and now we're about to get uh -oh. <laughs> a little more difficult. 
Uh, you may notice that this next clip is slightly older. What's, our, what's, our, a, what's our score now, right now, by the way? Yeah. Uh, you are up by one point because Sarah didn't get the other team of the Mariners game. Otherwise, you guys are basically... So she didn't get the, I thought she got the team. She, just get the, she didn't get the year. The year. The, the year. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She didn't get the year, but she got the oh, yeah. so That's her missing point right there. Yes. All right. This one is going to be slightly older. Uh, let's see if you guys get this one. Ball game. Babe Ruth coming up there. And with a count two and one. Kyle Hubble hooks one over the inside corner. The base pulled away. And it was a call strike. Now we have one man out. But it isn't all over yet. They're all sluggers. Luke Gehrig is up and we're ready to go. Luke Gehrig knocks the dust off his shoes, pulls down his cap, and takes his pants in there. Hit the ball. High. Outside. This boy Gehrig, you know, is... So slightly older. Yes. Uh, I don't even remember who goes first this time. Sarah, I think. I think it's me. Yes. I yeah. think it's the 1934 All-Star Game. So American League and National League when Carl Hubble struck out, what was it, like five straight Hall of Famers? Ugh, you guys are too good at this. <laughs> <laughs> you know Matt, what? You were, we were going to guess that, right, Matt? I was not, actually. Oh. Um, oh. I was not. So, Sarah, I'll, uh, I will see the – I will see the um, – see the points i was i was definitely thrown off so i will see the points to uh to sarah on this one i was gonna i would have guessed the um yankees cubs 32 world series and until i was sort of thrown at the end when he said gabby hart of the cubs is the catcher because i was like wait why yeah. would he be saying that so obviously in a cubs game so that's why i was, I was totally thrown off so so props to uh to sarah and i don't even feel bad about this one because this was <laughs> way before either of us was born so. yes it is <laughs> uh, that is why i edited it like that to get that gabby hart in a bit in there yes this is when Carl Hubble struck out five straight Hall of Famers, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, Joe Cronin. Uh, going back to what I just said before, um, Hubble only threw three innings starting the game. <laughs> so it's not like these guys were, were playing the entire game. Although I guess if I look at the lineup, um, like, you know, Pie Trainer got five plate appearances, Jimmy Fox got five plate appearances. But even still, there were more backups that came into this game um, than I remembered there being. This was at the Polo Grounds. And what I really got a kick out of from this clip was the crowd sounded like it was the seventh game of the World Series, right? There was like a 2-1 count on Gehrig, and there was a swinging striker, call striker, whatever it was. And you can hear it in the background. The, the announcer's going nuts. The crowd is going nuts. I just don't think you could recreate that in a baseball game today. But if I had the opportunity to go back to you know, five games in baseball history, I feel like this might have been one of them uh, for that and just for the names in this. Like you know, Ruth, Gehrig, Fox, obviously Mickey Cochran. The 1934 All-Star Game would be the second all-time All-Star Game. And I have to say, very impressed by Sarah Ellis. Yeah, I'm, I'm tipping my virtual cap to uh, to Sarah on this one. And I, I'm not like one of the, I'm not sort of one of these like, uh, you know, purist types. She's like, oh, back when the All-Star Game mattered, that sort of thing. But I do think the difference is that like, at that point, especially pre-TV, 
you literally could not see these players playing against each other. So not just preemptively play, but so it was like the idea of like the NL Stars and the AL Stars in the same field, especially when you said that was the second All-Star game. It was like a true novelty uh, to have that collection of players in the field and something that like, you know, now we kind of take for granted, but um, at that, you know, at that time and for many years, you certainly wouldn't. So I could definitely understand why that, that atmosphere would be so charged. And I, I think that's that. why, oh, sorry. No, I think man, that's sorry. why the uh, fans are so into it too. I mean, it's the second time it had ever happened. And because you could only listen on the radio other than this, I mean, it says the attendance was 48,368. I mean, those people must've been so, you know, so impressed and, you know, you didn't get to see the AL on the NL, right? I mean, it was in New York. So I guess you had teams from both sides, but even still just not the same, you know, getting to see them all at once. This next one is going to be almost impossible. I think you'll be able to easily get one of the teams. Um, maybe even the second team. I think it's going to be the, the date and the significance that might throw you guys off. Uh, but as I said, they're going to get harder. And this one is definitely harder. But pay close attention to the announcer's voice. Chico Fernandez flied to left field in the second inning, hitting 261. And while so many of the other ball players have just about wrapped up the equipment for this year. Chico, Sandy Amaros, Rene Valdez, and a few others heading down to Cuba. And Fernandez sometimes moans about a little. Curveball is cut on and fouled by going one. Chico, who was not a big fella anyway, and after playing all year for Philadelphia, is weight about 156 pounds, I guess. And now he'll have to start that season down there in Cuba. The strike one pitch. Fernandez swings and lines it into left center. That'll be a base hit. Simoleon to play it on a bounce and get it back in. So with one out in the fifth inning, Fernandez singles. The second hit off Roger Craig. And let's identify ourselves. Pause. Nope, let's not identify ourselves. Um, <laughs> I guess I should have edited out one of those team names there. Matt, you probably have the teams. Do you have the year? Uh, I'm trying to think of what the, the significance of Dodgers and Phillies. Um... But Roger Craig, that's um, – I'm going to say this is 1958. Okay. Sarah? Um, I will say – you know what? I'll just pick a different year around there just to be different. I'm going to say 56. <laughs> you guys split the difference. It's fifty-seven. Is, is it their last game in Brooklyn? It is not their last game in Brooklyn. It is their last game as Brooklyn. Okay, that's that's a, that's yeah. what I meant. I, I I always forget if they if their last year is 57, 58 So I was like, okay, I think it's their last year in Brooklyn. Or their last year in Brooklyn, but I couldn't remember. Uh, that's one of those things. It's just like mental block where I can never remember if, which. Where I always remember like, is their last year in Brooklyn fifty eight or is that their first year in LA? Maybe this will now will finally um finally uh, be what. Uh, you know, makes me remember this 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 uh, exercise right now. <laughs> <laughs> this game took place in Philadelphia at Connie Mack Stadium, Sunday, September 29th, nineteen fifty seven. The Dodgers lost two to one. This is the final game in Dodgers history. It is amazing to me how Vin Scully sounds exactly the same. Uh, if I'd played more of this clip, he would have gotten into advertising cigarettes and beer. So maybe that's something that was a little different. Don Zimmer played shortstop for the Dodgers that day. Richie Ashburn played uh, leadoff for the Phillies, I recognize, by the way, almost nobody from this Phillies lineup. Yeah. Richie Ashburn, sure. Okay, here's the rest of the Phillies lineup. Don Landrum, 
Ed Bushi, Harry Anderson, Willie Jones, Sally Hemus, Chico Fernandez, Joe Lonnett, Seth Moorhead. Does anybody recognize anybody except for Richie Ashburn? No. 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 It's also a great, a great trivia question. I just realized from this box score, who pitched the last inning yep. um, for the for the Dodgers as the Brooklyn Dodgers? Sandy Koufax. Yeah. Yeah. In relief. In relief. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's some good trivia. <laughs> All right, that was fun. I'm going to give you guys an even two points. Um, Sarah, because you crushed Matt with the 1934 All-Star game, you are currently up 16 to 14. We have four more to go. This one, I think, you will. neither one of you will get the significance of this. If you do, I'll be absolutely floored and super impressed. Challenge. The goal, the uh, local dealers of the Wall Evershop Pen and Pencil Company presented... Mickey Cochran and myself with the desk set and pen and pencil sets to Charlie Gehringer, Hank Greenberg, Goose Gosling, and Schoolboy Roll. Ought to be a lot of writing done this winter. Players are going out to their position in the field. The game will be on very shortly. Yesterday, neither Gehring nor Gehringer improved their batting average. And Heine Manoush with Washington picked up about three hits and is now standing second in this American League race for the batting championship. Lou Gehrig is still out front with a percentage of 357. Manoush has 356 and Gehring is 353. So there are some names there. There are some famous names. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sarah, you can get some teams, I think. Yes. Yeah. I got the Yankees and the Tigers. I hope. Um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the silence scared me for a little bit there. Um, but for a year, I'm going to say 1940? Is 1940? Yes. Okay. Matt? I'm going to say 37. Now, okay, you're both too late. Obviously, the oh. Yankees and Tigers are correct. Uh, this game took place on September 20th, 1934, and the significance of this game is that it is the earliest known full broadcast of a regular season game to still exist. Um, it's funny because this is actually a couple months after the All-Star game clip we just listened to. Note the caveat, regular season game. So there's that. Uh, I also enjoyed how this announcer received a pencil kit from for loving fans. <laughs> I don't think we do that uh, too much any, anymore. In 1934, at least in this game, Babe Ruth did not play in this game. Lou Gehrig did. Uh, there's some names here I don't recognize. Like I know Frank Corsetti and I know George Selkirk and Tony Lazari. Samuel Bird played right field. Arndt, A-R-N-D-T, Arndt, <laughs> Jorgens caught, and Johnny Brawaka, uh, who sounds like a, like a gangster, you know, uh, from central casting uh, pitched for the Yankees. And then as far as the Tigers go, Charlie Gehringer and Greenberg, Goose Goslin, Furpo Marbury, and uh, the Yankees won 11-7, and Johnny Barocco pitched a complete game allowing seven runs and 14 hits. How times <laughs> have changed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was, I, I was, I was, I was definitely did not get. You were right. I did not get the significance. I thought maybe it was Luke Gehrig's last game, so that was my guess. As I, I remember was last year, so I was like, oh, this sounds like. So I said thirty-seven. Obviously, his last. I'm looking now. His last game was not until thirty-nine. But um, okay. I was closer. I got the extra point, right? The extra point for 
You didn't I say was closer, the closer in the. I was closer in terms of the year. I said 37. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? You're right. Yeah. You're right. Clearly, I'm taking my uh, scorekeeper duties very seriously here. Uh, that <laughs> I got I to gotta inch my way back into this. <laughs> that, that trims the lead to one. Sarah is up by 1.17 to 16. We have three more to go. This one is a little more current. I can promise you that. They are all going to be a little more current than the earliest known full regular season broadcast. Two and two the count. Bernard, the runner at first, takes off, and he is out. Now, Joe, that would that be one of those go-if-you-get-the-jump signs? Because I don't think Marvin got much of a jump. Well, he should be able to get a jump, and he should be able to make it because Springer's motion is pretty much the same each time, and his knuckleball is not real hard. It's a slow knuckleball, which should give the catcher trouble catching it, but obviously everything worked against Bernard right there. Second baseman moves 20 feet into right field. Bonds hits one. Deep to right field. Look out in the cubby cove. Bonds hits number 73. To that one, because that last part probably should have been edited out. There's your significance. <laughs> you know one of the teams. One of the teams might, might escape me, so that's that's... It's definitely 2001 in the Giants. Um, the second team, oof, Russ Springer. Uh. Yeah, you got Springer, right? Sarah, feel um, free to jump in and steal. I'm going to say Dodgers. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Den Dennis Springer. Oh. Dennis Springer. Knuckleballer Dennis Springer. Um, yes, that's right. I screwed this one up by giving you guys a bonus point each because 73 home runs was very clearly in there. This was uh, October of 2001, October 7th. Obviously, the season was a little later that year because of the September 11th attacks. And Dennis Springer for the Dodgers pitched seven innings with one strikeout. Seven innings, one strikeout, two earned runs. Sometimes I feel like baseball is an entirely different sport now <laughs> compared to even 15 or 20 years ago. Barry Bonds uh, obviously hit 73 in this game. Your Victoria Alba caught for the Giants and the Dodgers had, this is like, I grew up a Dodger fan, as I've said many times, I blacked out of this period entirely. This was when I was in college and very much not paying attention to an uninteresting Dodgers team. So I cannot say I have any recollection of Adrian Beltre playing shortstop, which he did in this game uh, with Alex Cora as his middle infield duo. That's a fun double play pair. How, how about the Martin Bernard getting picked off with Barry Bonds at the plate in 2001? <laughs> I think it was a, I think it was a caught stealing, but yes. <laughs> uh, either way, yeah. I guess I, I even though the um, I, I obviously got my Springers mixed up. Um, I do remember that last weekend him just like going gangbusters on the Dodger. I think on, on Friday night he tied or broke the record against Channel Park. I want to say um, the first oh. game of the series. That um, sounds right, I think. Yeah, that's but anyway, right. so yeah, so I got like I, I you know, even though I misidentified my Springers, I, uh, um, the Dodgers, uh, the Dodgers memory st stuck with me. Sorry, you yeah. grew up a Giants fan. I'm assuming you watched this one very closely. Yeah, yeah, my mom, my mom's a Giants fan, and I remember tracking all this. I feel like we went to um, some games that summer visiting my grandmother, and we were like, just you know, all you want is for him to hit a home run. I don't think I ever saw him hit one, which is pretty incredible with how many games <laughs> we went to. But uh, yeah, not a lot of games at shortstop for Adrian Beltre. I was just looking at that. Not a lot at all. So that's pretty cool that that was one of them. 
yeah, that's definitely the one thing that stood out for me. Okay, Sarah, you were up by one point. There are two games left. This one is going to throw it back a little bit. And this is going to be the, the last hard one. And the clip number 10, as I said, is one that I just really enjoy. So I'm looking forward to that. Here's clip number nine. I just realized that that's the second clip I have with Roger Craig in it, which yeah. is a weird coincidence. I also really enjoyed the announcer saying that Chuck Hiller was hitting 264. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was going to say something about that. Which stood out. Uh, Sarah, I forget who goes, so you can go. Okay. Uh, we definitely have the Giants here. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that much. And uh, I'm not sure who I think the second team is. I'm going to bide my time while I guess 19. I'm going to guess 1963 and okay. um, Mets Roger Craig. So Giants Mets 1963. Yes. Any idea on the significance of this game? Mm, not if it's 63. I guess it's there's a- no reason you should know the significance of this game. <laughs> Okay. Then Matt. no. My, no. Alright, she's she's got Mets Giants sixty three. Matt has. Um my original thought, I'll take you through my thought process here. Um my original thought was Met first game in Mets history, um, sixty two. But then I thought, wow, like the scheduling was not back in, in in that time I feel like you wouldn't open the season on a West Coast you know, a West Coast team coming to the East Coast. So I was like, Well that doesn't really make sense. That the Giants probably wouldn't open at Shea Stadium. I mean, at, at, at uh, I guess, where the Polo Grounds. So I'm actually going to say first game at Shea Stadium, 1964. Uh, Sarah gets the bonus point. You, Matt, I have to say, were so close. Your thought process is dead on, uh, but you're slightly incorrect. This game, Friday, June 1st, 1962. This was actually the first time the Mets, re- or excuse me, the Giants returned to New York after moving. So this is their the time. It's weird to think about now. They played in the polo grounds as the visiting team because the Mets did start off at, uh, playing in the polo grounds before Shea Stadium was up. And something else you said, Matt, made me realize. I was looking when I was doing this at the schedule for the 1962 Mets. And twice in the first five games, they played a team for a one-game series. They, they played one game in St. Louis, then three at home versus Pittsburgh, and then one at home versus Houston. I assume rain, like that's the only possible answer I can think of. Do you, either of you know the story? I know that the beginning part was rain, at least. Like, at least the first one against the Cardinals. Um, but I, I think that was at least supposed to be two games or something. Um, because I remember noticing that a couple of years ago and trying to figure out what was going on. But I don't uh, know there, for the whole thing. Yeah, I remember there were days off. I assume that's what it must be. 
Yeah. Yeah. I remember my dad, my dad grew up as a, a Giants fan uh, in New Jersey. And I remember him telling me about going to see the Giants when they came back to the polo ground. So I'm actually wondering if you were either at this game or at a game that, that weekend. The uh, Giants beat the Mets 9-6. Obviously, the Mets yep. were just atrocious this year. <laughs> uh, Roger Craig threw five innings, only gave up four runs, but then Willard Hunter came in and gave up five runs in three innings. Billy Pierce, who I do not remember being a Giant at all. I remember Billy Pierce from uh, being a White Sox forever, but I guess he did spend the last three years of his career with the Giants. Pitched for San Francisco. Willie Mays was in this game. Orlando Cepeda, Felipe Lou. These were, these were fun Giants teams. Um they, I think this was the year they went to the World Series and lost to the Yankees, if I remember correctly. And this was, I would love to see them as the visitor in, in the Polo Grounds. I just think that's so weird and interesting. And now, Matt, I need to know if your dad actually did end up going to this game. We are down to our final one. And Sarah holds what I guess by our fake rules that I made up is a commanding <laughs> two-point lead. I don't know if this one's going to be easy or hard. I can tell you it's sort of a trick because none of this audio is in-game audio. So that's kind of in here. I just I remember watching this live, and I, I smile every time I think about it because it's just the most hilarious thing. Um, good luck with this one, guys. Pitcher number 33, Jarrett Wright. Pitcher number 36, Tom Gordon. Infielder, number 39, Andy Phillips. Pitcher, number 41, Randy Johnson. Pitcher, number 42, Mariano Rivera. Pitcher, number 45, Carl Pavano. <laughs> All right, Matt, I know you know one of those teams. Um, I'm not sure. If the, is there a way to identify the other team in this? Uh, if you recognized that man's voice. Um, oh, I see. Gotcha. Um, oh, I guess that's... Uh, yeah, that's... Oh, so, oh, okay, yes, I got it. Uh, it is... Uh, Red Sox ring ceremony 2005 against the Yankees. Sarah? Yeah, I was I was going to say I was not sure I was going to say ring ceremony but I was going to say early season introduction. So Yes, it was uh, I guess not opening day. I guess it was the home opener or, or the ring ceremony. Oh yeah, it was, it was Sunday of that day. So it was Sunday night baseball. Um, I remember watching that game. If you don't get the significance of that clip this actually went on for like 10 minutes because they introduced all the Yankees, right? And it was like Derek Jeter boo, Jorge Posada, boo, and on and on and on. And then Mariano Rivera, this game's in Boston. Yeah! And that you could hear it went on for like 35 seconds. Mariano Rivera clearly had no idea this was coming. They were cheering him because of what had happened in the 2004 ALCS where he blown two saves and allowed the Red Sox to come back. And he broke into just like the biggest smile. Like he realized what they were doing. And then when he smiled and realized like he got the joke and was in on the joke, they started cheering even louder and it's just like so innocent and pure. And it makes me happy every single time I watch it. I'm 
kind of surprised you guys got it. I'm really happy you did. Well, it's you gave me a little bit. Of I, say, I you know, I was kind of drawing a blank there. So yeah, I was not thinking on the right track. So I, you know, I need a little hint there. So um, yeah, I, I remember it now. I feel like this is one of those things that like went viral again when he got into the Hall of Fame. Because I'm not sure that I was super aware of it when it happened, but then I remember watching this clip over and over, you know, two Januarys ago. Yes, I lived in Boston at the time. I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure, like, I was with all of my Red Sox fans' friends, and they were super excited to watch this game. Uh, And then that happened, and everybody's like, this is cool, we love Mo now. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of things about this this game, that I'm looking at this box score now, that jump out to me. David Wells started for the Red Sox. I definitely have no recollection of David Wells on the Red Sox. Um, oh, on the Red Sox, in, Jesus. <laughs> in 2005, Ruben Sierra hitting cleanup for the Yankees. And like I, Will Leach actually wrote a piece about Ruben Sierra the other day, just sort of like what a weird career he had. And like, I was fascinated reading it because like, I totally forgotten like what a phenom Sierra was. And that in 1989, he finished second in the MVP race in the American League for the Rangers and led the league with 14 triples. Um, and drove in 119 runs and then basically like became kind of like the Ruben Sierra that like a lot of us remember were just like kind of this um, all or nothing hitter who didn't even really walk and was just kind of like home run or nothing, not a great defender, certainly not someone who you would have thought would have hit 14 triples and then didn't play in 1999 at all, basically washed out of the league and then had this total second act where he came back and was like a serviceable hitter for a few more years. Um, so I'd like totally forgotten huge parts of like, the uh the sierra narrative you know he actually was a member of the 96 yankees when they won the world series um and ended up playing until he was 40 finished his career with the twins in 2006 um and ended up with more than 2,000 hits and 300 homers which you know it was like such a weird career that guy had so to see him hitting clean up in 2005 for the yankees is just kind of wild yeah the names that jump out to me here bubba crosby uh, pinch running for the Yankees, I the Bubba Crosby, I don't know. I always loved that name growing up, and that's not a really good reason, but it's really funny to see his four seasons. And uh, Tony Womack hitting ninth uh, for the Yankees, the Diamondback <laughs> great. <laughs> I'm enjoying So Jason Jompy started at first base for the Yankees in this game, and he was replaced at first base by Tino Martinez, who I thought to myself, well, there's no way Tino Martinez stuck around through 2005, and he didn't. He actually left the Yankees after 2001 and went to the Cardinals, which I remembered. Went to the Devil Rays in 2004, which I sort of remembered, and returned to the Yankees in 2005, which I absolutely did not remember. And he hit pretty well. He was a, he was a league average hitter that year. Um, Sarah, you win. Congratulations. I should have made a celebratory sound clip here. You went almost entirely because of your amazing pull of the 1934 All-Star Game. Shut out, Matt. I don't know if the points uh, make sense, but they definitely don't matter. Congratulations, nonetheless. <laughs> thank there's, you. There's, thank there, there's no shame to losing to Sarah Langs in baseball trivia, and that 1934 All Star Game was a was a fantastic pull. So uh, um, I was pleased I got the 79 All Star Game. So I, I, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm relatively pleased with my performance, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that I was, was really pleased. fun. Yeah, so I was pleased that a I made it work, and b that I didn't come up with anything so bizarre that both of you were like, I have absolutely. Uh, no idea. And I knew I knew we invited the right person. I knew Sarah would do great at this. And uh, congratulations to Sarah, our first, I don't want to say annual, but for the moment, <laughs> winner of this. Uh, that was a blast. Thank you guys for participating. Thank you all for listening. I would love to know if anybody actually uh, did better and nailed all of it. Sarah only missed, I think, three points here. She did really well. Um, that is our show for this week. That is the MLB.com StatCast podcast.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 